bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace. We thank you for this Independence Day that we celebrate and remember the great freedom you've given us by grace in this country. We ask that you help us not take this for granted, but remember every day that anything good we have is by your grace. Father, we also ask for special prayers for those in our congregation that are sick and struggling with different illnesses. And we ask for special prayer for Frank and his upcoming surgery at the end of the week. We know you're in control, Father, regardless of what sight tells us. And we ask that you help us continue to pray for people like Frank and give him the strength and courage to go on by faith through your grace. Father, most of all, we are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you gave us. You didn't withhold him from us, but you gave him to us so that he could be the great sacrifice for all of our benefits, so that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved and have the freedom of eternal life with you. Father, we ask that you bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us this evening. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 24. So on Sunday, uh, the spirit continued our conversation regarding faith and its power in our lives. And how faith really is the vehicle that God gives us to carry on in his plan. Faith is the vehicle that God gives us to carry on in his plan. And we've been shown that true faith endures and reveals his light in the end. True faith endures and reveals his light in the end. We've seen this concept on the board a few times now. The faithful keep on believing, waiting on God over time. So this phrase, true faith, implies patience if it's going to show itself as true faith. Eventually, we will receive the things of God. If everything were given to us at once, there's no real test of faith. Therefore, no faith required. We might say patience is a fruit of faith or even a type of faith. And I read a wonderful passage on this yesterday morning that gives us some valuable things to remember. So let's go to James 5, verse 7 to begin tonight. James 5, 7. Again, look at patience as a fruit of faith or a type of faith. And this, this is just what believers possess once given faith from God. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient ab about it until it gets the early and late rains. So again, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, 
being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Think of the farmer waiting for months, wondering and hoping in God for a good harvest, staring at the field, not seeing anything yet, or not seeing as much as he wants to see, and that daily test of faith, even for his very life, to have the food needed to feed him and his family. And verse 8, You too, be patient, like the farmer who waits and trusts in God for the growth. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. In other words, the harvest is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. I read that and I was just picturing, imagine Jesus right now, he was standing right outside those doors right now. How you would feel, your anticipation. It's like an eager patience. But this says right here, the judge is standing right at the door. Verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. All right, again, think when you see outcome, think of something happening over time. The outcome is the end of a waiting process, of a period of patience. Who knows how long it is? You've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. That's the outcome, folks. That's what, that's what we're all destined to experience. The Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So be patient. Endure like Job. Think of the word endure, okay? Just the word, at least the way I said it there, is dragged out, right? It's dragged out. It, it implies something, again, over time that he asks us to go through in patience. It's not an overnight thing. It's not supposed to be. And thank God that it's over time, as we'll get to later on again, because if it weren't over time, we couldn't take it. We couldn't bear what he might ask us to bear. But because it's over time, he builds our, our, our faith stronger and stronger, right? So that you're ready for this thing over here where you wouldn't be now. But when you do get to that thing, you will be ready. And it'll even surprise you, like, that you can handle it. I think of Frank, again, facing the upcoming big surgery. His attitude is one that he can handle it. He's ready. He's put his faith in the Lord. And he's got this type of patience about him now. And, you know, he even said it. Five years ago, I could never handle what I'm going through right now. So, again, like patience and enduring is this beautiful quality in a believer. And God, in his grace and mercy, operates over time. So we're not shocked or stunned or unable to handle it. Um, the end is, the end of verse 11, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So expect good results in the end. Patience is a proof of faith. And it's the proof of our faith in time that glorifies God, as we know from 1 Peter 1.7. And we've read in Ephesians 2.10, where it tells us that we're to walk in the good works that he himself has laid out before us. 
he himself has laid out before us. So again, these things are wrought and ready and prepared by God over time for us to experience. And this is where we bring God great glory. But also, if we, if we have true faith, we will endure. We will persevere, especially because of his mercy, laying things out just as we can handle them. So good results come from living in patience and trusting God one day at a time by faith. We also saw on Sunday the simple yet powerful truth on the board. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. When the angels, for example, see the finished product God makes of us weak sinners, they will have no choice but to praise God's name forever. They will be shouting out and are shouting out, saying, you did that with them? It's a miracle. You know, and from the angels, we can understand that as human beings, right? And where we've come from and where God's taken us. From the angels' point of view, we're just so low, so much lower than them. And they have no choice but to shout out rejoicing, look what God did with them, with that, etc. We could go on. But like, Lord, how did you do this with them? God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. All the glory and honor go to his name and his power and his sacrifice, etc. And then the Spirit gave us this scripture on Sunday, 1 Peter 2.4, how God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we were told by the Spirit on Sunday to dwell on these two points, these two facts. Again, God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. And in 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in us. It's a lot to like mull on, just to contemplate. God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in us. When God's will is done in a member of his creation, and when humility wins in the life of a believer, that just puts another nail in Satan's coffin. Again, the elect angels praise him. The fallen angels are flabbergasted that he can do something great with us and in us. When his will is done in a member of his creation, and when humility wins in the life of a believer, despite our sin natures, despite our fallen state and our ugliness, that puts another nail in Satan's coffin in the invisible realm. And all of this takes place over time through a life or a lifestyle of patience, of persistence. It's an exercise of faith. When you exercise, you don't do one rep. If you're lifting weights, you don't do one rep. You don't run 10 feet, and that was enough. Exercise takes place over time, doesn't it? With a lot of repetition. It's an exercise. It's a building. It's something that's, that's developing in you. 
And that's what's happening spiritually as we exercise something like patience. On Sunday, we saw the following analogy uh, to how metal is worked into useful shapes and how even that is done over time. It's drawn out by God's grace. On the board, we saw the definition of anneal, according to Google.com. It means to heat metal or glass and allow it to cool slowly in order to remove internal stresses and toughen it. Thank God this is done over time. To heat metal or glass, think of the spiritual analogy, and allow it to cool slowly in order to remove internal stresses and toughen it. God sure knows how to toughen us up. But he does it by grace. He does it graciously. You know, and he gives us breaks just at the right time. And then he might turn up the heat again. And, and you even see yourself, if you're honest, accepting and understanding or, or going through certain things with a certain level of peace that you didn't have at the last increment, at the last test. And what is that? He's building, sanctifying us. So spiritually, on the board, God anneals our faith. Sanctification is like the annealing of metal. As believers, we must be worked to the glory of God. He bends us incrementally, adds heat under pressure, and get, then gives us time to cool down. In the end, each iteration makes us stronger, more resolute in our faith. I don't know about you, but I love when once in a while God shows me <laughs> that I have a new resoluteness in my soul, a new uh, strength, a new ability to accept things. And uh, that's a result of his, you know, fatherly direction and testing and discipline and um, really of his grace. It's all for our benefit, but he never gives us too much. He allows us to cool down. But each iteration makes us stronger and more resolute in our faith. And it ends up being a beautiful thing. Remember the result, a peaceful fruit of righteousness we talked about last week? It results in a peaceful fruit of, of righteousness. It's the peace that surpasses all comprehension. And that's what we all really want. God is doing something divinely good in our lives, period. That's what we need to accept, no matter what it looks like or feels like. We have to step back and trust him. That's it. Where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else offers eternal life by grace? Who else paid for your sins? Where else are we going to go? We've trusted him with our eternal life. We have to trust him with that day-to-day -day walk and lean on him harder to give us the strength. Go again in your Bibles to Proverbs 3, 5. We saw this on Sunday. There comes a point in our lives where you've got to stop rationalizing and you've got to just trust God. You've got to stop trying to figure it out and you've just got to trust God. 
Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That's what a lot of the world clings to for their security and answers in life. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've actually experienced a little bit of this. Where, you know, the theme the last few years, you know, a lot about the fear of the Lord. A lot about, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? And what you see is, the more you actually do it, the more you submit, um, the more you obey, you might have to drop certain things in your life, whatever it might be. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. On the board in Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will do it. Again, we also have this key verse from last week's lessons, too, in 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Period. So there comes a point we just have to trust them. There's nobody better we could trust or place our trust in than the perfect one regardless of what sight tells us. It came out from the Spirit on Sunday, the fact that God's plan for us really is very simple. It's as simple as the trusting faith of a child. Trust, right? What do we just say? Stop thinking about it. Stop trying to figure it out. Just trust the Lord. It's as simple as the trusting faith of a child, and He will do it at the end of uh, Psalm 37, verse 5. He will. He does. In the end, that's what he does. It may take patience. You may not see the result for a little while. God knows what's best for you versus for me, etc. But the result is, the good outcome is, full of mercy and compassion. But we must trust him as he continues to anneal our faith at times in our lives. Again, the point on the board, God anneals our faith. Sanctification is like the annealing of metal. As believers, we must be worked to the glory of God. He bends us incrementally, adds heat under pressure, then gives us time to cool down. In the end, each iteration makes us stronger, more resolute in our faith. Just look at all the Bible heroes in the Old Testament. How God did, did this to them and for them. And how strong their faith grew. Look, look at how they you know, were at the end of their lives. You know, Men that brought tremendous glory to God and even in front of people were wonderful witnesses and changed people's lives. But it took time. It took 
patience. It took years, decades in many of these people's lives. And that's good. By grace, God brought them to this point. These weren't great men or women on their own. They weren't. That's what we tend to think of because we see the finished product. Oh, what a great believer David was. What a great believer Joseph was. What a great believer you know, Rahab was. Whatever. Do we realize how many years it took them to get there? By faith, through grace, right? But we don't, we don't look at the decades. So God's doing the same thing through us in our lives as long as we, again, operate through faith. He's producing a miracle, really, in our lives. We saw a good example of good results in Romans 5. Turn again to Romans 5, verse 1. The good results of God annealing our faith. What he's producing in us. It's good. It's truly good. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. But it doesn't end there. Say it doesn't end at salvation. Verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you see what he's building in us? This structure he's building in our souls, this confidence, this steadfastness, this peace that can't be shaken? So how are we to look at this? What's the right perspective God wants us to have? On the board, this came out in the message on Sunday. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us, a process that, at times, is both painful and edifying, by which we benefit. Again, he's full of mercy and compassion. That was the outcome of Job's dealings. He's full of mercy and compassion. At the end, he takes care of his own. So to say we benefit is a huge understatement. When we think of the peace that we attain in this life and the reward he gives us in the next. Just for living by faith. Another way of putting it, again, God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in us. This also came out on Sunday regarding perseverance and it being a gift. One of the key areas of fruit bearing for the truly faithful is perseverance. Perseverance being a grace gift from God. It's only by God's power and grace that we're able to persevere in the faith. It is totally a work of God. Otherwise, we'd all quit. Faith was his gift to us at the point of salvation, 
and it continues to be his gift to us to allow us to persevere one day at a time. We're being saved daily by grace through faith. So this is a trait of a true believer, this gift of perseverance. It's a trait of a true believer because God has given him true faith to persevere. God has changed the believer's heart. And as Jesus and his apostles stated throughout the word of God, only an apostate quits the faith. Why is that? Because God never gave them the gift of perseverance, the gift of true faith. It's a common theme as we keep reading our Bibles in context. And this is one of the main points in Jesus' main parable, the parable of the soils. Turn again to Luke 8, verse 9. I like how the Spirit keeps kind of rehashing different points and different verses from different angles. Um, I hope you see that. And he's just, he's just building the whole picture, the big picture. Luke 8, 9. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. Notice, these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. It reminds me of John 6, 64 through 66 that we saw last week, about the many disciples falling away from him, who never believed from the beginning, apparently, according to the Lord. In verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Notice again, no fruit to maturity. But in verse 15, the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear, bear fruit with perseverance. So we saw uh, Charles Spurgeon's comments on this passage on Sunday. Or with perseverance, with continuance. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. He is not converted at all who is not converted eternally. The work of man is temporary. The work of God is everlasting. Someone that quits and leaves the faith and produces no good fruit, despite some initial reaction, that's a sign that it, it was a work of man. That's temporary. The work of God is everlasting. If God changes somebody, he changes somebody. We'll get to that a little later. 
Spurgeon is also referencing a passage in Matthew 24 here about the end times. Uh, Turn to Matthew 24, verse 10. So that we see this again, perseverance is a trait of a true believer. It's almost like the inevitable result in his life that, that he perseveres. In verse 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And again, this doesn't mean he's saved because he endures. It means his endurance is a sign or evidence of his salvation. This is just what true believers do. They endure. Why? Because they're stronger? Because they have a strong will? No, because they possess the power of God inside of them. True believers who submitted to the Lord at the point of salvation were given the power of God by grace. And God lives inside of them now. What do you expect is going to happen? And if someone leaves the faith altogether, that's a sign the power of God is not in them. That's what the apostles said and the Lord said. So here's a question to think about. If Jesus lives inside of you, how would you not endure? How is that possible? If Jesus lives inside of you, the Bible says if you honestly submitted to Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that he comes to live inside of you. If that's true, how would you not endure? We're not talking about making mistakes here. We're talking about lifestyle, not perfection. So how would your lifestyle not be one of endurance? How would you quit? How would you totally quit on the plan of God? You wouldn't. Because the Lord's in you, empowering you by grace. So you may not always be happy, quote-unquote. You may give in to the flesh at times. But the true believer's overall direction is enduring in the faith. Persisting because you know there's no one else with the truth and eternal life. You may not understand what you're going through. You may not have all the answers. But as a child of God, you step back and trust him no matter what. That's what occurs in that person that's been given true faith by grace. So on the board, the one who endures, as opposed to uh, Matthew 24.10, Jesus was not implying that endurance is the pathway to salvation. Rather, as he reiterated in myriad ways throughout his ministry, salvation is a grace gift that results in fruit bearing, i.e. perseverance in Luke 8, 15. Salvation is a grace gift that results in fruit bearing. A work of God doesn't end up impotent. It always produces some good in a believer's life, unless, of course, it's not a work of God. And there's some man-made faith 
When God changes a believer's heart at salvation, it is his good work, remember, that he did in them. It's his good work. He did it to them, if you will. Once their free will gave him permission and surrendered, he did it to them. He said, here, boom, by grace, you're saved, you have my spirit, you have my son, you have me, the Father says, in you right now, by grace. You're mine. You're my possession. So it's his good work that he did in them, in those who humbly surrendered to Christ. So it can only result in good fruit. A good tree can only bear good fruit. So here's the recurring theme over the last few lessons on the board. What's the Spirit's message? Again, I hope you all ask yourself that at home, on your own time, uh, you know, big picture, step back. You know, what's the Spirit's message? What's, what's God getting at? What's, what's he, you know, the big picture here? It's that by grace through faith, we will endure, persevere, and therefore bring glory to God. By grace through faith, not by your will, not by your own strength in any way. But by grace, through faith, you will endure, persevere, and therefore bring glory to God. What brings glory to God is the fact that we persevere, because as we persevere, all these good things happen. He's able to bless us. He gives us new strength. He gives us a test. We're able to pass it because he provided the grace. So, again, when we like bring glory to God, it's not like, all right, I have to go out and do this amazing thing for him that I can't do. No, it's that you persevere one day at a time and he gets you to this place and then he lets you participate in this thing and you bring this great glory to God like the Old Testament believers did. It's a result of perseverance, which is a result of what? Faith, which comes from grace. So this all brings our Heavenly Father joy and glory when we persist for His namesake. It's the ongoing faith that brings glory to God. So this is also why we ought to be excited about carrying His, his light within us. Our perspective maybe should change on that. Look at Luke eighteen sixteen. Go back to Luke 8. I'm sorry, Luke 8, 16. We actually ought to be excited about carrying his light around. And in fact, that's even a result, if you look at the context here, a result of having true faith, of having the gift of perseverance. Because right after the parable on the soils and the, the persevering believer, verse 16 now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In other words, a true believer puts his light on the lampstand. He doesn't hide it and is not ashamed of it. 
so others, when they come in, don't see it. A true believer's rejoicing that he has this light on the board, the light of a believer or in a believer. He possesses some type of affection for Jesus Christ because he truly believes he, Jesus, saved him from sin and death. He is set free and wants that freedom to shine for others to see. Again, the heart of the believer has changed. The light is now in him. He really can't help but express it or have it on top of the table for all to see. So in Luke 8, the believer who, who bears fruit with perseverance is also shown as setting or rather letting his light shine on top of the table. Again, in Luke 8, the believer who bears fruit with perseverance is also shown as letting his light shine on top of the table. It's an illustration of perseverance, really. It's not a burden to him. It's a source of joy, this faith that God's given him because he's trusted in Christ in his heart. So on the board, regarding perseverance of the saints, simply stated, a true believer will always persevere by grace through faith, as opposed to an apostate, for example, who eventually fails due to lack of true faith. This is the direction of the true believer. He perseveres by grace through faith. So back to perseverance being a grace gift that comes along with salvation. Perseverance is the common characteristic or trait of the true believer in Christ. So we see throughout Scripture as we continue to read our Bibles in context. And then we see our Lord's cautionary statement in Luke 8, 18. Look at verse 18. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. So take care how you listen. On the board. Those who refuse the light in time will not have the opportunity at the great white throne judgment. It will be too late, and all light will be removed from them as they are thrown into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. Jesus is saying to whoever's listening, take care how you listen. Do you accept my words in your heart, or are you rejecting them and rationalizing your own solution, whatever makes you comfortable? On the board in 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? We've been through this before, but this is also a message that we need to pass on to others. We need to challenge others with who might live this life 
where they seem to have no affection for Jesus Christ. They seem to have no light in them. None of his peace, none of his fruit, none of his, no, no attempt to follow him. And they say they're a believer. We might suggest this verse to them. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Do you fail the test? If you have true faith from God, then you rely on Jesus Christ as the rock. He's who your soul turns to for security. That's, that's who you are. That's who your soul turns to, the rock. He's the firm root given to the believer by grace. The firm root. Remember in the parable, one of, one of the you know, folks in the parable there had no firm root, even though at first he received the word, he had no firm root in him. Jesus is our rock. He, he is the firm root by grace for those who truly believe, for the one that has surrendered to him in humility. This person, this believer, by grace will persist, will persevere, because he's standing on the perfect rock. On the board again, talking about faith in the rock. If there's one outstanding quality of rock, it's that it is solid in its standing. That's why we use the term rock solid to describe unwavering things. If your faith is in the rock, Jesus Christ, you will persevere, just like a rock does, just is, can't be moved. Luke 6, 48, the believer is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Notice it could not shake it. When you're given true faith from Christ as a gift, it perseveres. It's good. It's truly good and pure and powerful. So true faith works is the point, storm or no storm. God's gift of faith is effective in saving someone and in sanctifying someone because it's a gift of God. On the board, we saw this on Sunday, too, regarding faith in the rock. The more we learn about Jesus' approach to the faith, the more we realize two fundamental things. True faith is simple. God saves. And true faith is practical. God sanctifies. In other words, it works. It does something. It produces something good because it's supernatural. It's literally God's power in you. So that's why there's a certain fruit that has to come about. Because if there's no fruit, as in the parable of the soils also, that's a bad sign. That's a sign that there's nothing truly good granted to that person by grace. When God starts something, remember, he finishes it always. He's perfect. His word promises to complete the good work in us, doesn't it? In Philippians 1.6 and Philippians 2.13, he promises to complete the good work in the believer. Remember the outcome of Job's life? Job's endurance? Over time, drawn out, 
seemed really long to Job, but the result was the Lord's mercy and compassion on him and reward and blessing. His word promises to complete the good work in us. This is the result of a believer's life because he's been given true faith by God. So reflect for a minute. Sit back for a minute. Just think about this. If someone possesses a new heart by grace through faith in Christ, and he's made a new creature at salvation, that new creature can only do good. Some good must result from this new perfect creature living inside the believer. It has to. This includes things like perseverance, primarily perseverance. Because what is perseverance? It's just another sign of faith. It's another part of faith, which is a grace gift. Again, we're not talking about you being this amazing person that goes and kills Goliath right now. You know, we're not talking about you doing something you don't think you can do. We're talking about you persevering. We're talking about true faith, persevering, having patience, staying with God, even when it doesn't understand. And the result of all that, patience and trials and growth, comes to be something awesome maybe at the end of your life that you never would have done in a million years. But what's your, what's your role? It's faith. It's perseverance. And that is by grace, thank God, right? And he produces and finishes the good work in us. Perseverance just means you don't quit. So if you're thinking about more than that, it's not talking about your perfection or your ability. It means you won't quit because you know who the truth is. So that's the fruit of perseverance in the life of the true believer. As a friendly reminder, again, on the board, just said a different way regarding faith and fruit. True faith always precedes godly fruit bearing. Religion supposes that faith is the fruit of fruit bearing as if it is somehow achievable through works, supposed fruit bearing. The latter is the work of the flesh. True faith always precedes godly fruit bearing. In Luke, Luke 6, 43 on the board, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. In other words, a tree has to come first, right? Do you see like fruit popping up in the air outside your house and then the tree kind of goes down into the ground from the fruit? That's what you're supposing if you say good works comes first and gives me faith. So in other words, the roots have to come first in the soil. Roots firmly planted on the rock. Then it can produce good fruit. Then it will produce good fruit. So in other words, repentant, humble faith comes first. And then the fruit comes as a guaranteed result of God changing you. So these are all different ways to say the same thing. I hope you're encouraged by it because it's all by grace. By grace, he prepared the apostles and he's doing the same in us right now. We heard on Sunday also that even wisdom and understanding are grace gifts from God. <laughs> Anything good 
is a grace gift from God. But specifically, wisdom and understanding also. That's another thing the Bible says is given to the humble, the ones that really decide to listen to God's words. Turn to uh, Matthew 13, verse 9. I can't believe how fast the time's going. Some of you are like, yeah. (laughs) I'm tired. I want to be home at this point. That's okay. We're almost done. Ten minutes. But to me, it's going by fast here. Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, some can't hear. Or some don't listen. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted. What's that mean? By grace, gift. It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. Why was it granted to the apostles? They were humble. They honestly wanted to know the truth. Where a lot of people were there listening and following Jesus for the wrong reasons, as we know. So we believers have been granted his wisdom and understanding by grace. And as pastor said on Sunday, this is what frustrates unbelievers among us so much. One of the things. The fact that we're confident in the things of God and even life itself. We have a peace that even you don't maybe feel you have at certain times, but you're exuding. And people see it. Uh, Some kind of a level-headed Uh, uh, even keel that people start to get jealous of they're like why aren't you bothered right now you should be bothered like I'm bothered about this thing happening in the world so they even start to accuse you of arrogance out of jealousy for the peace and steadfastness that you have and they try to imitate what we have by living in the flesh by doing it in their own power holding up a dead corpse so to speak trying to animate it and make it look like everything's all right. But they know it's not when their head hits the pillow at night. And that's what you have to remember as a believer who might be witnessing to them. Just because they put on a nice facade and they act happy does not mean they're happy. So you need to believe and know that without Christ, they don't have his peace, regardless of how they act or put on an act. So you need to, you know, boldly share what you need to share at the right time. But meanwhile, we're sitting on the rock, relying on Jesus and his gospel for our power. On the board again in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, From faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So we're talking about two opposite power sources here. The believer is relying on the rock and receiving grace and peace. The unbeliever is relying on self and his human rationalism to imitate what we have, to to produce a counterfeit like Satan's instigating them to produce. He doesn't yet realize, the unbeliever, that this is total futility, like holding up a dead man's body. 
on the board. We ended with this on Sunday. The flesh wants to stake a claim to life, but it's dead, and therefore literally incapable of doing so. A corpse cannot get up and walk, can it? Trying to use human rationalism to find your faith is supposing this very thing. So the persistent theme has been that the believer now possesses the power of God. And God's power in them will have certain good results in their lives. Showing up as things like persistence and patience. Not quitting on God. Where else are we going to go? Seriously. So as James would say, don't deceive yourself. If you have some form of faith without any works, without any following of Jesus Christ, don't deceive yourself to think you're all set. Because God's faith, if that's what you have, works. It does good things. It produces good fruit. It's never impotent. So let's close with a passage in James chapter 2. Go to James 2.14. And in this passage, it mentions a verse that Pastor used in his recent blog on the sobering truth about demons. And tonight we're going to see it in a slightly different context. James 2, verse 14. Okay, remember what I said for a minute. And what James basically says here, don't deceive yourself if you have some form of faith in your life without any works at all. Don't think you're all set, quote unquote. That's basically what James says here. What kind of faith do you have? Who's your faith in? Look at this, James 2, 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now, keeping this all in context... The demons believe in God, but why aren't they saved? They apparently never surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior. Otherwise, they would have good works as proof of that. But they have evil works in their lives. You want to say you're saved or you know God, but you don't follow Christ whatsoever in your life. Remember, good works is not doing the great thing necessarily. It's persevering. It's following him. Jesus said, I know my sheep. They hear my voice. They follow me. That's good works. That's good fruit. So you want to say you're saved or you know God, but you don't follow Christ whatsoever in your life? Well, your life is akin to the demons then, the ones that acknowledge God is one. 
but refused to submit to him as Lord and Savior, refused to follow him. Thus in the reality, or thus is the reality, of the unsaved, deceiving themselves and even using the name of God without any surrender to him. I think we all know a lot of religious people like that who hold to or cling to a certain religion but totally live life for themselves. Don't follow Christ whatsoever or have him as a priority. Show any affection towards his name. It's kind of shocking. It's kind of obvious when you see that. This is the reality of the unsaved deceiving themselves and even using the name of God without any surrender to him. And that lack of surrender is evidenced by a lack of good works. Just think about that as you might go home and read James 2, 14 through 20 again. Think about that. People deceiving themselves, even using the name of God without any surrender to him, and that lack of surrender is evidenced by a lack of good works. Thus the difference between the saved and the unsaved, those that received faith from God by a grace gift and those that did not, but are trapped in the religious game. So we'll continue with this on Thursday. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your spirit teaching us and guiding us, showing us what these things mean in context, uh, showing us the light and how anything good in us is by grace through faith. Father, we ask that you help us continue in your word, help us live in a persevering faith one day at a time, relying on your grace alone and trusting in you with the faith of a child. And Father, we ask that you help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that need it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.